So welcome to the Rise of the Super Bean podcast. My guest today, I have a very, very special guest. I've been willing to talk to him for a long time. So the, the coach of the coaches, Jimmy Pedro. Jimmy Pedro, it's a, it's a judo Olympic champion, twice medalist, bronze in 96 and 2004. It's a world champion. It's the U.S. Olympic judo coach of people like Kyla Harrison, what's was double gold in this, the, the Olympics, Travis Stevens, Ronda Rousey, and, and so many. And also, Jimmy Pedro, also it's the CEO of Food Mats, what I'm very grateful. You just helped to take a combat room to the next level. So thank you so much. That was a process as well, because, you know, we're on the other side of the world and so many mails back and forth. <laughs> And uh, yeah, thank you, thank you so much because the school looks great, it looks so awesome. So thank you, Jimmy. That's uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on, and thanks for being a great customer. We're, we're you know we're proud of what we do at Fuji Mats. Um, we love helping people's dreams come true, and regardless of where the people are in the world, we want them to have the best product, the best experience, and obviously uh, we want to share that with the world. So we're, we're proud to have you as a customer, brother. Ah, no, thank you so much. So Jim, let's let's lots of questions here about uh, you know we I have I have this you know I've been training BJJ for for a long time but judo has been one of my passions as well and we have so many judo uh, black belts training BJJ it's kind of a, you know those two things share the same the same DNA right <laughs> without question I mean there's so much crossover I mean I have so many friends that friends in both worlds right mm -hmm. my judo world is my judo family i was born there i was raised there and that's who i am as a person but you know i've come across so many phenomenal jiu-jitsu instructors and jiu-jitsu people in my life um we've helped many of them open up some amazing gyms a lot of them have become good personal friends of mine and a lot of them have because they're from brazil they respect judo they did judo in their day many of them are black belts in judo yeah. And they've now come to America to make a living. And it's almost impossible to make a living teaching judo in the United States. But jujitsu is so popular, you know, as a result of the UFC, as a result of all of the athletic promotions and uh, the jujitsu community and what they've done to make jujitsu a, a wholesome name in America. That all of these uh, instructors can come here, open up gyms and, and run successful businesses doing so. And so as a result, you know, our company supports them, helps them, and together we grow the market. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Jim, let's let's talk about your your story. You no, know? so you you started judo in a very young age as well. You no, know? so your father was great, great judo coach as well, and so you you have this. It's kind of a it's a it's a double sword. You know, when you have your father as a coach, you know, can can go can go really well and can go really, really wrong as well, no? because some people can burn them themselves out really quick and after they don't even want to hear the word of, you know, of any sport, you know, can be BJJ, can be judo. So how was this experience for you? You know, it's, I, I grew up doing judo. It's part of my DNA. You know, my, since I was two years old, my father ran, ran a judo academy. So I went to the dojo every night, whether it was after school, uh, when I was a kid growing up, even before I even started doing judo, I was always at the judo academy. Uh, so it became a part of my life. It was very difficult having my father as my coach because he was so strict. He was so hard. He's like an old school 
drill sergeant master uh, <laughs> who only wanted he only wanted to produce champions. He didn't care about making any money. He just wanted to have the best team in the in the country. And his whole life was always about being the best you can be. Period. You know, when we go to competitions, we win. When we're at home training, we train with purpose and we train to win. We're gonna out train everybody. He's sort of the the Dan Gable mindset of judo. So Dan Gable was a, a wrestler, Olympic gold medalist, coached the Iowa Hawkeyes, the most successful wrestling team in history. And my dad's a lot like Gable was in terms of just outwork everybody, outtrain everybody, you know, win at every cost and just, you know, give the most of yourself. And as a young kid, that was hard growing up because my dad expected everything from me. He was very, very hard on me. Um, when I won competitions or I won national championships, it was never be satisfied with where you are today. You always have to get better for the next one. And so I just got brought up with the mindset that, you know, you, you can't just be happy with where you are. You've got to push to the next level. And the next level just kept going up and up and up until it became Olympics. And even now with my, my academy, you know, he's, he doesn't want to spend his time with anybody unless they want to go, unless they're willing to give him 100%. You know, and he's now 75 years old. You know, he trains twice a day himself. Um, he expects the world from his students, but that's why we have the best team. That's why we've created these champions because the expectation in the bow was set very, very high. And, you know, of course, when I was younger, I certainly could have rebelled. I could have gone the other way and just decided this isn't for me. And that's kind of what my sister did. You know, my, I had a younger sister who was, more accomplished than me at a younger age. She was already a uh, national champion at, at 14 years old. She was already placing in international tournaments when she was 16 years old. She probably would have gone on to be an amazing female judoka for, from America. But my, when uh, she was 16, my parents got divorced and my sister went the other way. She just quit judo and she went with life and decided not to pursue judo. And I was the one that stuck with it, mm -hmm. you know? That's awesome. Oh, it wasn't easy. Yeah, I can imagine. There's <laughs> one story when you were 16. Can, can you tell this story? Because I think that was so interesting. Because that could be, you know, you moving forward or you quitting judo forever when you was having this, this match and, and your father wasn't that happy with you with the result. <laughs> that was a tough one. I, I remember I was at the U.S. Open and I was at, uh, fighting against um, a Korean and for a bronze medal. And I, I wasn't even a mature, I wasn't even mature yet. You know, I was just mm -hmm. still a young boy and this guy was a big, strong man. And, um, I, I scored early. I was up by a Wazari in the first like 30 seconds. I had a trick throw and I got him with the trick throw by Wazari. And then for the next four minutes and 45 seconds, the guy just dragged me around physically, just bounced me off the, off the tatami and was just beating me up. And, at the end of the match, I lost my penalties, and uh, my dad was disgusted with me. He just yelled <laughs> and screamed at me, and I walked off the mat, and, you know, it was, it was tough because I just fought, like, eight times in this competition, right? I lost to a guy who, who won a medal in the Olympics in the earlier rounds. I fought all the way through the loser's pool. I fought for a bronze medal. And, you know, maybe I weighed 56 kilos and the weight was 60 kilos. So I was up in age. I was up in size. This is a senior competition, the best of the best. And I, I didn't finish on the podium, but I fought my heart out. I lost, but I fought my heart out. 
And after my dad, you know, yelled at me over that, I just remember walking outside in the snow and laying down with my jogi on and just kind of crying in the snow. Like, why do I do this sport? Like, why do I try so hard? Why do I fight, train so hard when this is what I get? You know, a dad who's, who's angry at me, you know, uh, I can never satisfy this guy. Um, it, it was really hard. And, but I realized you know, after the competition, things settled down, my emotions calmed down. I thought to myself, you know, he really just wants the best for me. He wants me to be the best athlete I can be. And he's not yelling at me because he's angry. It's because I didn't perform the way I should have. And it was a time in my life where I decided that never again was I going to back down. Never again was I going to fight to hold on to a lead. It was always if you score, score again. If you can score twice, score three times. If you can end the match, finish it. And so from that day moving forward in my career, I became a very offensive judo player. I never went on to defense again. Whether I scored early or whether it was, you know, fighting for an Olympic medal, it was always go forward, go after the guy and push the pace. And it did change the way I fought forever. And so sometimes, you know, you hear in sports that some of your best lessons come from your biggest losses because it makes you dig deep and find out why something happened and, and you can decide to change it forever. And that's kind of what that moment was for me. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so Jimmy, even even talking with some judo players here, you know, the one thing the, um, they all said about you was your ability to every competition you you came, you know, you always super, as you said, super aggressive, but also your ability to change a strategy as well very quickly. So kind of your ability to be unpredictable. You know, so some some judo players, they you know, you kind of could expect them come with uh, I don't know, trying to get you in an ultimato or something like that. But you was able to to really change your, your game. So how was your your preparation for 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 the competition? You know, and also Jimmy, can can you also uh, as well because you've been doing judo for so long, you know, to see the the changes of the rules as well. So that affected the way you was you was training for the competitions. Yeah. So a couple of things led to me being really versatile. So first of all, I, I did judo since I was a little boy. So it, it was part of my DNA. It was part of my movements, right? I, I, every, it was instinct. Judo was instinct for me. Um, but I also wrestled when I was in high school and I wrestled division one NCAA college wrestling as well. So physically I was a grappler. I could grapple. I could, I could pick people up and, you know, do katagurumas and I could, you know, what do you call it? Uh, tewaza. I had good Tewaza with my hands, right? So but I was a grappler, and that allowed me to play the Europeans really well, the European style. But I also spent a lot of time in Japan training, and I learned good stand-up judo when I was in Japan. So when you fight the Japanese, you don't want to fight like the Japanese. You want to beat them physically. You want to outgrip them. You want to maul them. You want to do like a wrestling style against the Japanese people or against the Asians. When you compete against the European, you don't want to do grappling style and use your, your strength. You want to use your finesse. So I was able to play them with more of a Japanese style. Judo is how I played the, the Europeans because I trained so much in Japan. I was able to adapt and, and understand how to beat a certain player, depending on what his strength was. And of course, all of them, if they weren't good on the ground, I could attack them on the ground and win the game in Neiwaza always. So you know, everybody in the world is a tough match standing up, 
but not everybody's good on, in the waza. So between the wrestling style that I could play with the Japanese and my stand-up technical style that I could use against the Europeans combined with aggressiveness, good gripping, and, um, and good ground game, it made me a well-rounded athlete, which would made me difficult to fight because I could fight a, a number of different ways in any contest. And I think that's what made me an, an exceptional judo player for such a long period of time. Um, and yes, I mean, you have to adapt with the rules as well, right? I mean, today's judo is much different than it was back in my day. Um, you know, there's good and bad to it. You know, part of it is, I, I don't necessarily love the judo of today because I think it's a very limited, right? You, you cannot grab any legs. You cannot use any unorthodox gripping. I think that that limits the techniques that you can do. It makes it less dynamic. It makes it less exciting. It's more stand-up judo and it's more classic Japanese style, but it tends to also be, I think, in my opinion, more boring because there's less moves being done. There's less techniques. Uh, so that's number one. But on the flip side of that, they are incorporating a lot more newaza. They're allowing a lot more ground time in newaza in judo. And I think that's because the world of judo and the world, because jiu-jitsu is such a big part of martial arts now, there's so many grapplers in jiu-jitsu that understand what they're watching and, and they're allowing judo, uh, judo newaza to go longer because everybody's more educated on the ground than they used to be. And I think that's good for the rules. Mm -hmm. you know? That's awesome. So, Jimmy, um, back back in back in the day, you know, so when you was competing a lot as well, what was your routine of training, diet? Did you did you did anything outside of judo as well to complement your your preparation towards the towards the Olympics, for example? One hundred percent. You have to be professional, right? So, I'm from a country that doesn't have a lot of judo players, a lot of strong partners to train with every single day. So. One thing that made my training unique was that my dad and our today is, is much different than a typical training session at, at, at any other academy. So, and, and actually David Mora from Brazil, he came to my academy after the last Olympics. He said, show me the secret. What is going on? How do you, you know, I want to see, because when people come to my dojo, they see like, they see like 20, 20 athletes, right? There's 20 people to train with that are, black belts, brown belts, some green belts. But we only have 20 guys at the level. And how does Kayla Harrison, how does Travis Stevens, how do we produce all of these amazing athletes with only 20 bodies to train with? And it's because the way we train. So we never, we never train more than one hour and a half. Of any, any session is no more than one and a half hours. But from the moment you walk in to the moment you leave, you're working. You're just working. And we do a lot of drilling, a lot of intense drilling, a lot of focus training on getting better. We never do like 10 rounds of five minutes of randori. Our, our judo is not slow and, you know, pace yourself and work on your judo. It's very focused. It's very intense. And it's that intensity that produces these exceptional athletes because they're always under pressure when they're training at our academy. We go get the pure judo when we go overseas to Europe to train or we go to Japan and there's, there's hundreds of bodies to work out with. That's where we get the pure judo. But when the training at my academy is really focused on, you know, a specific move, a specific technique, and a specific style that we drill so well that when we hit that position in a competition, it's a win. And that's it's training with purpose on the mat. But because we don't have a lot of bodies here, we need to train 
outside of judo. We have to do strength and conditioning. We have to do, you know, stadium runnings, running up steps. We have to do sprint workouts. We have to do physical conditioning to make up for the lack of hard training partners. And I always did that as part of my training. So usually it was three or four days a week where I was in the weight room. And some days that was, you know, explosive Olympic style lifting, power cleans, push jerks, you know, squats, bench, deadlifts, whatever it was that was like power lifting. And then I also did a, a circuit type training where you'd go from one exercise to another exercise, full body weight exercises. You know, we might do like rope climbs, you know, we might do explosive push-ups, jumping up on boxes, you know, throwing a dummy, like something that would emulate a judo match. And it would take me between six and eight minutes to do one circuit. And we would do three of those circuits in a workout, you know, rest five minutes and do another circuit, rest five minutes, do another circuit. So it's very intense sort of like judo training, but it's off the mat and it's in a weight room. And then I would always do some sort of like conditioning, whether running, some sort of running, whether it was, you know, maybe out of season, it's long distance running just to keep a base level of conditioning. Uh, as we get closer to the tournament, you know, it becomes more intense sprinting workouts. So I get my, my anaerobic activity and my anaerobic conditioning to a high level. So lots of like 200 meter sprints, 100 meter sprints, things like that as we get close to the tournament. So we also, all of that is with kind of a, a focus on peaking for performance. So depending on what events you're trying to get ready for determines what phase of training we're in, right? So if, mm -hmm. if my world championships is six months from now, then I'm not doing very intense training in my lifting, in my running or in my judo, I'm working on base stamina, I'm working on new techniques, I'm working on maybe longer randori sessions versus, you know, one month before the competition, it's very intense, short workouts, you know, longer breaks, getting me ready to like explode when I fight. That's awesome. So Timmy, how do you manage to, to keep the motivation up during all those years? Because man, you still train, you still looking really good. <laughs> How is that possible? How, how do you keep your motivation up during this, during this whole career? So for me, there was singular focus. I wanted to be the best athlete in the world and I wanted to win an Olympic gold medal. That was my goal. And so I made my first Olympic team in 1992. I won my first Olympic medal in 1996. I got a taste of, the, uh, of being in the world in 1999 i won the world championships you know it was the second man ever to do it for the united states and i won the world championships in 99 i went into the olympic games thinking i was going to be olympic champion in 2000 i finished fifth it was a very disappointing olympics so then the next thing was we got to do it in 2004 we got to give it one last shot so from 92 to 2004 the goal was to be olympic champion and because i got you know no no medal in 92. Sampaio from Brazil, I know Fajero Sampaio from Brazil, he won the mm -hmm. gold that year. I had beaten him in every competition. So I knew I was capable of winning a gold because he did it. So that's why I went for 96. In 96, I finished with the bronze. I knew I could win a gold. So I went four more years. You know, I, in, in 2000, when I didn't win, I couldn't finish with a loss. I had to be on the podium again. I had to try one last time. So that's why I went to 2004, was to try to win an Olympic gold one last time. I was 34 years old, you know. So 
I finished with the bronze at the Olympics. I think in the end, what motivated me was to be the best in the world and be the Olympic champion. And because I never did it, I kept pushing to do it. And then there comes a time in your life where you're just too old. You can't do it anymore, right? You just physically can't do it. You have to move on with life. And that's when I started training the next generation of champions. And that was the Rondas, the Kaylas, the Travises, and all the in U.S. Judo that came through the system. And I think it was destiny that Kayla was the first ever, right? Because it mm. took more than just me. It took me helping somebody else, giving all the knowledge in my brain, all the techniques, all the visualization, all the sacrifice, how to pull together a complete player. And that was Kayla Harrison. And she was the one who was destined to, she had a better story. She had to overcome more adversity than I did mm. in her life. And together we did it. And it was, it was an amazing experience. That's so awesome. And, and now, you know, what's the next step for her, right? MMA. Oh. Well, she's, 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 she's killing everybody in MMA. Yeah. To be honest, she's, you know, if you think about Kayla, she's, she's had, I don't know, maybe 500 professional judo fights wow. in, her, in her career. If you think about it, right? Every year we fight, you know, 40, 50 times, 60 times. She did this for 10 years. She has 400, 500 fights. And I'm talking about against the best girls in the world. We're not talking about easy players. Mm. She's fighting the best girls in the world for 10 years. So she has all these fights under her belt. And on top of that, she trained at a dojo that only had men. So Travis Stevens was on the Olympic team. You know, my, me, all of the young guys coming up, they're all men. Kayla's training with the best male judokas that America has ever seen. So physically, she's like a man, Right. And she also did the strength and conditioning and professionalism ever since she was 15 years old. So people see her and they say, oh, she must, she must take drugs. She's, she's too big. She's too strong. She learned how to lift professionally when she was 15. She did that for 10 years. She trained with the best and biggest, strongest men for 10 years here in America. She went and fought against the best girls in the world for 10 years. The girl is you know, phenomenal athlete. Yeah. You know, and she's a workhorse. She's not just gifted. She's a worker. So you take talent and you take mentality and you add the fact that she's willing to outwork everybody else. The only way you beat her is you knock her out. It's got to be like one, because you're not going to, no girl is going to dominate Kayla in the ring. It's not going to happen. She's physically too strong and too gifted. Yeah, you know, she's a beast, I, there's, huh? men that, there's men that can't keep her down. I'm telling you. Yeah. So, you know, There's no girl that's going to keep her down. They're going to have to knock her out. And it's going to have to, it's not going to be just, you know, beat her up, beat her up, beat her up. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one, one punch and she's out or she's not going to get beat. Mm, yeah. So, so Jim, what's, what's your, do you have any mental training as well, a part of the physical training and you know, what's your, so for example, you know, for one of your students who goes to, you know, to a competition, What, what's, the, what's the conversation prior to that? So every athlete, every athlete has to think about their goals for the year, what, what their goals are for, for inside of the sport and outside of the sport. Like what, do you, what do you want to achieve this year? You know, and, and every year they write it down and they change what their goals are to me. They give me the list. We sit down, we have a meeting. And I said, and I found out some really amazing things through these goals because I learned about It's not just their judo goals, it's their life goals. Like what makes these people tick, you know, and what makes them, what's going to make them complete. And I do believe you have to be complete uh, in order to be successful. 
it can't just be sport because when you don't win in sport, you feel like a failure and you don't have anything else outside of sport. Then what am I doing this for? So you have to keep moving forward in school or a career or something that makes you happy outside of whatever sport you're doing. But inside the sport, it's about finding out what those goals are and why. Why are those goals important to you? For example, Travis Stevens one year, his goal, I remember being on a plane, we're on our trip overseas and we brought out his goal sheet and I looked at the sheet and I said, one of his goals was to beat a Russian. And I didn't know this, Travis, I don't understand. Why is the goal to beat a Russian? I don't get it. What's the big deal about beating a Russian? He said, Jimmy, I've never beaten a Russian in my life. I'm 0-7. I've had seven fights against Russians. I've never won one fight. Mm. Okay, well, in order to beat the Russians, you've got to train with the Russians. You've got to understand what makes them tick. You've got to feel their judo. So I called a friend who is the head coach of the Russian team. I said, I want to send some guys over there to train. Could you put them up? And I sent Travis for three weeks to go train with the whole Russian team. And after training there for three months, uh, three, three, three weeks, Travis came home. I said, what did you learn? He said, I'm going to kick the shit out of them when I fight. <laughs> I said, why? He said, none of them would train with me. They're all scared to work hard. They're all scared to fight me. So he got a chance to work with, you know, the B players and the C players, but the high level guys wouldn't train with them. And he was pissed off that they wouldn't work out with them. You know, so it motivated him, but he saw them. These guys aren't that special. These guys are great. You know, I can beat them. And it gave him that confidence and that belief and that desire to want to fight him. So the next tournament he went to, I kid you not, he went to uh, the German World Masters Tournament afterwards. And in that competition, it was the first time since he had trained with the Russians that he got to fight a Russian. And he beat two wow. of them in that event to win the tournament. So wow, awesome. you know, it, it's, it's having goals, it's understanding why those goals exist, and then it's coming up with a plan to reach those goals. And when you talk about mental training, it's important to find out why, why is this your goal? Why is this your passion? Okay, if this is really your goal, now you've wrote it down, you've committed to it in writing. Now I want you to start like visualizing the day this is going to happen. I want you to start getting in your head now. If this is not a dream, this can be your reality. This can be you. But the only way it's going to be you is you got to start believing right now that you're going to get there you're going to be world champion or you're going to be Olympic champion. You've got to like, you've got to feel it. You've got to experience it enough times that your body and your mind think it's real. And when you can like accept that this can be you, then you go train for it. You go make it happen. You go through the path and, and you know, you put all the things together and train with purpose and train like it's going to happen, you know? And then when you go out there to fight, you put everything aside. You don't worry about fear. You don't worry about it not happening. This is by design. This is your destiny. This is what's going to happen. You go get it. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let anybody stop you. You take it to them and you go take it from them because this is yours. And it's that mentality and that mindset. You've got you've to train your athletes to believe this way, to think this way, that they're invincible, that, they're, that you know, nothing is impossible. Right. And I think that's what I was able to do for some of our stars, you know, that really bought into the, the mindset, the methodology and the process. And that's why they, they achieve success. It's, it's not that they were, their judo was better. It's not that they were more physically gifted. 
It's not that they were more talented. It's that they had made up their minds that that was going to be them. And, you know, I like telling the story of Travis because, you know, after not meddling in the 2012 Olympics, he, he made it to the semifinals. He lost a 10-minute sudden death match in the semifinals. He should have been in the finals at Olympics. He finished without a medal. For four years, he trained and to get back to the point where he could do it again. And the day of his competition, he, I said to him the morning of the competition, I said, Travis, are you ready to go? Like, are you ready to go today? And he looked at me with a big smile on his face and he just said, Jimmy, I'm going to shock the world today. Like he was, couldn't wait for the moment. Couldn't like we got to the venue and he was relaxed. He was dancing around like a little kid. He was like at an amusement park. He couldn't wait to get out on the Olympic tatami and perform because he had waited for this moment for so long. And a lot of the other athletes that were the favorites to win, they were all very nervous with nervous energy, trying to like warm up, and they were very stressed and you know, kind of not comfortable. And I would say Travis was just like a little kid. It was just just that energy that positivity that he brought to the day where he said i'm going to shock the world he just made it happen that's so awesome that's super cool so jim one thing one thing um you know watching some of your videos and and has you know it's something i, I always repeat to to my students as well um it's the the power of grips i think yeah you have so many cool videos online you know teaching the power of grips you know and how someone without you know as as without with more ability than you you can kind of you know dominate a little bit and kind of neutralize their game by the power of good gripping that's a it's a huge part of we like to say the american judo system or the jimmy pedro or jim pedro you know system mm -hmm. um it is grip fighting there's there's the first thing you do in every every combat sport is you grab your opponent, right? If you're in jiu-jitsu, you grab the guy. If you're in judo, you grab the guy. If you're wrestling, you grab the guy. Like in boxing, you, you gauge the distance and you tap the guy. Like you're always engaging your opponent. So why not have an advantage in the very first thing you do? Why not learn a system that allows you to take away all of your opponent's strengths? Take away their best techniques because you grab them in a certain way that they no longer can do their best techniques. And put yourself in a position where you can do everything you want to do from the grips that you have. So it only makes sense to make this one of your main focuses if you want to beat people that are better than you, technically better than you, and never ever lose to somebody that's inferior than you. Because if you all grip them, they have no chance to score and beat you if you maintain good position. You know, it's the same thing I'd like to say boxers, right? There's some boxers, Mayweather, he's impossible to hit. Nobody gets to punch him and hit him. They can't beat them if they can't hit them. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's the same thing in judo or grappling. If you grab somebody in a way where they can't execute any attacks against you, how do they throw you? How do they take you down? They can't. So this is this is a huge focus and a huge part of the game, both for jiu-jitsu and judo, that I think can revolutionize the way people can, can improve because you can make quick jumps uh, in your game if you master this, this part of the, the system. That's awesome. So, Jimmy, well, um, three kind of three most fundamental trolls for a beginner. Three what? <laughs> three. What's your, in your opinion? What's the most three fundamental trolls someone should 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 know? Three. 
the fundamental throws. So, I mean, if you're trying to learn judo, right? Because it's different for jujitsu versus judo. But for judo, one of the most important things to, to learn is how to give way. You have to learn how to, how to take your opponent and as they're pushing you is to get out of the way and throw them. So it has to be either an Ippon Seonagi or an Ogoshi type technique where you turn your back 180 degrees, you commit 100% to the throw, and you're able to pick the person up and throw them over in a forward technique. That's 100% you have to learn one of those. Ippon Seonagi or like an Ogoshi where you actually use your hips, you use your opponent's momentum, and you're able to throw them up over the top. So one of those throws for sure. I think it's also really important to learn how to do a foot sweep, some sort of foot sweep, Please. foot technique, mm -hmm. some sort of ashiwazi. Because again, you know, it's one of the fundamental concepts of judo, right? The guy goes to put his foot on the ground, you sweep it out of the way. It's a timing technique, and that helps you learn the feel of judo. If you can use your feet, you can set up all your big throws. But you can also beat somebody much bigger than you just with a simple kind of foot sweep. So, and it's also the least risk. You don't ever have to turn your back. You don't ever have to, you know, give, give your back to your opponent. And you can learn them with, with a, a good skill, which is a foot sweep. So I would say some sort of ashiwaza and then Ippon Sewi or Goshi as a main throw. And the other concept for self-defense purposes, I think, is Osotogari. Doing a nice Osotogari, again, no risk. You don't have to turn your back. But you can take somebody and devastatingly take them down and be on top mm -hmm. of them like that. You know, so those are the, the, the throws, I think, that are important, not just for a judoka, but in all aspects, whether it's jujitsu, you should learn how to turn your back, you should learn how to throw a foot sweep, you should learn how to do a soto for self-defense purposes as well. That's super cool. I love that. So, Jim, yeah, let's, um, I'm, I'm not going to take much of your time, my brother. Thank you so much. I I'm, I'm just have a few, few more, uh, few sure. more questions. Um, another thing as well, Jim, because... You've been you've been training people, you know, from all different cultures as well. Do you find that the, uh, any difference when you teach, uh, for example, in your experience of uh, the Russians, the, the Japanese, and and the the Brazilian, the Americans? Do you do you, do you change your your style of of coaching based on the on the on the culture of the the person? You know, it's, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I, I've never been responsible for training teams from other countries, right? I've never been responsible for that because I, I've been approached to take many positions. And I actually was approached to be the head coach of China. I've been asked to be the coach of Uzbekistan. Wow. I've been approached a lot of different teams. And they're great programs, and they pay good money. But as an American, I love America. I love what it stands for. I love the culture here. It would be really difficult for me to take my family to live in those other countries because it would be culture shock and it wouldn't be fair to my kids to uproot them and do that. So I never, I never, never done it, but I've, I've worked with athletes from those other countries. Um, they are different. The culture is very different than what we have here in America, for sure. Um, a lot of those countries are very, because they have very big programs and they have very, they're always, I'd say they're lucky because they have so much, they have access to so many other high level players. They have a system, they have coaching staff, they have money, they're getting paid to do judo. They're professional judo athletes in Japan and Russia. Compared to America, it's every, everybody's pretty much a volunteer. There's not anybody that really makes any money doing judo in this nation. So, you know, from that aspect, it's different. And it's hard to convince them 
to change their behavior and their the way they because in those countries they're so set in their ways and they have I wouldn't say millions but they have half a million judo players doing judo in Japan you know half a million people doing judo in Russia like the best of the best rose to the top because they're so deep there's so much competition that the best guys are phenomenal judo players and you're not change their habits and their ways you can teach them a new technique you can teach them a new gripping sequence you can teach them certain things but you're not going to change the way they train because like me they've done that way their whole life and they don't know any different mm-hmm. that's awesome so jim what's there there any question um i you, you know there any question you'd like me to ask you and i didn't Doing all those oh, interviews, boy. which question you'd like me to ask you? Um, <laughs> I guess, I don't know if it's a question, but what I'd like to say is like, why is the sport of, why is the sport of judo so special and what made me so successful? Like, what mm-hmm. do I think is a key ingredient to success? Yeah, please. I'd That's say awesome. that the judo family it really is a family, right? I, I think every sport has a, a, a feel to it, a culture to it. And the one thing that I love about the judo family is that no matter where you're from in the entire world, they always accept you as a judoka. You have a moral code that comes with you being a judoka, especially a judoka at a high level, because you're not doing it for money. You're not doing it for fame. You're doing it, you know, everybody at that high level of judo is made from the same fabric. They all work hard. They all are humble. They're all passionate. You know, they're all goal-oriented. They're all about giving back and helping others. Like, there's a lot of good traits that come from being a high-level judo, judo player. And the judo family is something that always accepted me. What I mean by that is when I was young, I didn't have a lot of money. My dad was a, a firefighter. They don't make a lot of money as firefighters. He ran a judo academy. He didn't run the academy to make money. He did it to make champions. So every year, my one family trip that we took was to the judo national championships. Wherever the national wow. championships was, that's where my family vacation was. We didn't go to Hawaii, Bahamas, Aruba, or anywhere special. If it was in Pennsylvania, it was in Texas, that was my trip for the year. And we did it once a year. That's vacation for us. Um, so I was a humble person from a humble upbringing. And when my parents got divorced, we had even less money. So for me to be a champion in the sport of judo, you know, it took a family to help raise me. And my dad sent me to other places. And those people accepted me in and let me live at their houses, let me train, you know, at their dojos. Um, so families from Japan, families from Germany, United Kingdom, from, from all over the world, opened their homes and allowed me to train for two weeks or six months or however long it was. And without that judo family helping support me, I wouldn't have been the player I ultimately became because it wouldn't have been possible financially to do that. And that's something that I think is special about the sport. And it's something that I'm very appreciative of. And that's why I always, whenever someone wants to come to America, I'll always write them a letter to come, invite them here. They can always come train at my academy. They can always stay at, at one of the houses that I, you know, families that I have, like, We'll never shut our door to anybody that wants to come and train. And it's because 
somebody gave to me and I now it's my obligation to give back. That's awesome. But uh, that's so clear, Jim, about you. You know, everyone who knows you on the personal level know, talks very highly of you about your how hard work you are, how your work, uh, work ethics, you know, it's it's super, super high. Well, I had this this opportunity as well to dealing with, you know, buying the, the mats, you know, from <laughs> and so many mails, so many questions, you know, and you always, you know, with so much patience, with so much attention. Uh, again, you know, I think uh, uh, you, you don't have idea how much you're teaching your videos, you know, because when you put something online, you know, you have no idea how much that can influence people, you know, but, you know, in my classes, I always mention your videos, you know, I always mention about you, you know, I'm a big fan, you know, even, because I, I didn't have much opportunity to, you know, I to train judo the way I, I would like to, but, you know, I every piece of information I can get to to improve my stand up and to pass it to my to my students, you know, it's always, and and also, you know, I we do have a, you know a picture of you know Master Kano as well at you know at our gym, what's super important. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, so so thank you, thank you so much. I really appreciate, I really appreciate that this this talk was awesome. So many good uh, information, and um, yeah, and let's one day, who knows, you know, to bring you to New Zealand to do a seminar for us. That would be a, it's a dream. beautiful country. I was there one time. It was it was 1990s, so we're talking 30 years ago. It was, but it was a beautiful country. I'd love to come back if I get a chance. I'll certainly come. Nah, sounds sounds really good. So, Jim, All right. thank you, thank you so much, my brother. Really appreciate. It. Thank you. All right, my pleasure. Thank you, Vanderson. Good luck to you, brother. Thank you.